Hi folks, a little bit of housekeeping before we start the podcast. This is our conversation from about a week ago with uh, PVP's Richard Boyd Barrett. Uh, we are also calling on everybody who can to get their feet on the street for the cost of living protest that is on today, this afternoon, Saturday at 2.30pm, leaving from Parnell Square in Dublin. Myself and Martin will be there. We hope to see lots and lots of you there. That is the only way we will bring about change. It comes from the bottom up, not the top down. We need people to show strength and solidarity in order for this government to act. If you're listening to this podcast, if you enjoy what we do, if you think that it's worthwhile supporting, please consider clicking that link that's in the podcast bio right now at patreon.com forward slash tortoise It helps us keep these conversations going. It keeps these mics on. I know it's difficult out there. We know, we understand, we are bloody broke ourselves but we want to maintain our independence and not have to rely on any of these corporate podcast platforms that are taking over what is essentially used to be a punk rock um, medium. So if you can, just click that link there in the bio. Thanks for the support. Hope to see lots of you this afternoon at Parnell Square. Last time, patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack and enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber Podcast. My name is Tony Groves and as part of our continued Budget 23 coverage and the doll is back. Uh, so it's it's basically like the start of football season for Martin. You're uh, you're even... <laughs> yeah, I was stuck to it yesterday. You're like a kid on, on the... Christmas morning. Well, I, I was stuck to it yesterday and I was watching the... Uh, and the only thing of significance really was that, you know, Mary Lou MacDonald is the Taoiseach in all but... but name oh, no, no. and and the Freudian slip was made but we are we're in a waiting game now it reminded me some of the coverage I do want to say kind of reminded me of that moment where do you know there's brilliant sketches where the Tories have gotten away with for, for months saying the real issue is you know that the Labour Party have all the power they've been running this they've been causing all this trouble there's been that element of this as well now and the, the funniest thing yesterday was this the statement by the Tonish that you know uh, we're not going to listen to the expert tax group just to own the shinners. Yeah. <laughs> that was the dumbest thing. Like, anyway, look, talk about a self own. And uh, we are delighted to be joined by people before there was something dumber in my opinion tony oh you 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 know what you can lead with that before (laughs) richard boyd barrett is here to join us richard it's good to see you and by all means tell us what was dumber richard well maybe this is more a nerdy point but like the the, uh there was a debate on the energy crisis and the costs of living and all that and I, could, I actually couldn't believe my ears because both uh, Eamon Ryan and then Ossian Smith, the other Green Minister who spoke for the government in the debate, re- both repeated that the liberalisation, i.e. privatisation uh, of the energy market uh, over recent years and the introduction of competition had been beneficial to the consumer and had helped bring down prices. And I was just there going... I mean, in, in, in that in that comment, you see a government that is literally living in cloud cuckoo land uh, when the exact opposite has happened. And if ever there was time when this is obvious, it's now that the whole theory that if you privatize a market, that the, the competition is then going to bring prices down. The exact opposite has happened from that. It's There's got a, worse and worse and worse, even before the current crisis. Just just want to reference something I was what I was reading over the weekend though. Probably yeah, Monday or Tuesday, I think was was looking at it. Is the collaborative, um, the ground groundwork collaborative in the U.S. had gotten a lot of um, 
corporate earning meetings. They got their got their calls and taken, you know, got the scripts and read them. And all of these big organizations that you're referring to, Richard, they were calling the the add a little bit more because they knew that because people were expecting prices to go up. Yeah. Add a little bit more. So sorry, Minister Ryan, but you're clearly not the facts do not back you, support up what you're saying. They, yeah. They've actually been gone out there on a list. They've told people in, in earning calls, this is what we're doing. And we're going to see how far we can push it. Yeah. Sorry, I, Martin. I, I actually think that the silliest statement made yesterday was made several times by the Taoiseach, where he said that the the housing crisis and the homelessness crisis at least half a dozen times he laid it at the, f- the feet of a rise in population. Now, the population has arisen by 11.1% in the last 11 years, and homelessness has risen by 285%. There is no correlation between the two, and we'll be getting to this in a, in a second, mm. but that's the only horseshoe I see in Irish politics, is that when you say the failure in housing is a failure by government, the people who come at you, are government supporters and these crazy fascist people who are telling you it's all immigrants' problems, that they are the cause. That's the only horseshoe in politics at the moment. The only one. Anyway, look, yeah. Richard, can we get can we get into can we get into the, the nuts and bolts? Yeah. <clears throat> I want to go into the nuts and bolts on the look, this budget's already been leaked to bits as usual. We've seen, you know, yeah. th- it's gone from a p- package of 6.7 billion. Um, there's going to be, you know, these 2 billion in, in one off call in one off measures. We're going to throw 200 quid at you now for your bill. Um, I spoke to, we spoke with Michael Taft last week who was saying, well, actually, if we played within the fiscal rules that we were told we had to play within for the last, for the decade of austerity, we, we, we had, we'd have more money than we could actually spend. It's somewhere between 12 and 15 billion. But nonetheless, knowing that we can't go there. What is your take on what's already in the public domain and so widely leaked? I mean, the Tonish gave a bloody speech outlining it himself. Well, look, I mean, obviously to date, the government's response to the cost of living and housing crisis. And I, I, I insist on saying cost of living and housing crisis because they're two connected and equally dire uh, crises, uh, one that's been rolling on for nearly a decade now, but their response has been hopelessly inadequate. That's obvious. I think everybody knows that uh, 200 quid against increases in bills that are, pro- are, I mean, one estimate now is that average bills have gone from 2000 to 6000 or will have by the end of the year. So 200 quid last year, another few hundred quid this year, that is a pathetic drop in the ocean and it is not going to stop. Uh, particularly elderly people, people with disabilities, people with kids, people on low incomes from freezing themselves this winter. Do you know, I mean, turning off the heat, not having hot water. Uh, uh, so it's been hopelessly inadequate. And although I do think the government is under pressure, and it's why I think the demonstration on uh, Saturday the 24th, the cost of living demonstration is important, because I do think actually the numbers of people on the street can make a difference to what the government does and I don't think all the decisions are made. Uh, and I, that's a big thing I want to get across to people. Some people look at these situations, they just despair and they think, ah, sure, it doesn't matter what I do. They're just going to do what they're going to do. I don't think that's the truth at the moment. I think the government are under pressure. They could be forced to do things that they would never consider doing in the past. I mean, we have been calling and the left have been calling for windfall tax uh, prof, uh, taxes on the profits of the energy companies for a year. We were dismissed. Now the European Union is talking about doing it, right? Uh, we've been calling for the renationalization of energy for years. 
uh, now they're starting to do it. In France, uh, Germany are now considering renationalizing uh, their national gas company. So things that never happened before can be done if there's enough public pressure put on the government. So I do want to say that. But as it stands, yes, I, you know, I don't think they're willing to do what's necessary. Um, and a few say, hundred quid, a few hundred quid is just not going to cut it. The increase in the the minimum wage is pathetic. It it amounts to effectively a pay cut in real terms when you look at inflation. Uh, and you know you can go across the board. I mean, the government say, "Oh, the Ukrainian crisis is the reason for all of this." We had one of the highest costs of living anywhere in Europe long before the Ukrainian war. We had some of the highest childcare costs, highest college fees, highest utility bill costs biggest jumps in rents and house prices. So this long predates the Ukrainian crisis uh, and signs on it. The government are are not serious about responding. Martin, before you come in, I just want to like, it's not a, it's not a question. It's a point on Richard's point is that they can't tell this, they can't blame anything on Ukraine. In 2019, when we had the fastest growing economy in the EU, the AROP, the at risk of poverty rate actually grew. Okay, so so it's it was already upside down as it was being organised. Sorry, Martin, go ahead. I, I just want to say on on people demonstrating, Richard, people did come out for water, and there is no reason why they can't come out to the same numbers again. And this is actually a bigger crisis. Um, I'm very glad that our water wasn't privatised. I'm very glad that we still have it through central taxation. But the cost of living crisis far exceeds that. The, 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 the bills people are going to be getting, the hardship they're going to be put through far exceeds water charges. So there's plenty of motivation to turn up. Um, the idea that you can't change what the government doing, of course you can. If 100,000 people stood outside the door and refused to go home until the politicians resigned, that's the end of government. That is the end of government. That's what happened in Ukraine when they wanted to get rid of their government. That's yeah. exactly what they did. Yeah, look, I, I couldn't agree more. But it's funny, isn't it, how people, even though they have shown their own power, people have seen their own power with the water charges. And you could say the same about things like repeal and uh, all the rest of it. That We've seen how people power has fundamentally changed things that governments weren't willing to change or where governments were going in the opposite direction. Or one, you know, one of my things I'm most proud of being involved in is the, is the very successful campaign of prote- protest to stop the plan to sell off Quilche. Uh, if you remember, as well as water, the government had committed to sell off Quilche during the austerity period, and that was reversed through protests. And uh, so it can be done. But it's funny how people kind of still you often hear the argument, don't you, when you're talking to your friends or your family, Ash, or is there any point in protesting? Will it make any difference? So there's always a, 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 like a, a job to motivate people. And I hope it, I think all of us need to do that over the next while and remind people what we achieve with water charges. And as you say, the cost of living and housing crisis are far worse than what was planned with water charges. Uh, and the, the motivation should be there. And I think if we can get big numbers out over the coming weeks, it will make a difference. The government are worried, you know, they're, they're I, under pressure. With the government, and I accepting that the government are worried but they still have and, the, and as the last um confidence vote showed before the breakup for the doll they have a super majority even sitting you know sp- sprinkled out there and you know the the, the two recalcitrant greens will be back soon as well and mm-hmm. you know uh, and they they how outside of people power what what pressure can you put on from the opposition benches and 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 and, and in that we are you willing to work with other parties to do this Oh, 100%. In fact, I'd like to think that people for profit have, have 
played a leading role in making an argument for the left coming together. And I mean, if you remember back to to election 2020, the, the only debate in the months running up to that election was who was going to prop up either Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael in the next government. That was the debate. And people before profit were were the ones who intervened during the debate and said, we think a left government is actually a practical possibility. That hadn't been, that hadn't been really suggested. Uh, and post the election, I think that that sentiment took off. You remember the vote left hashtag and the transfer between... The first, the first Fed to post, it was Martin. <laughs> Good man, Martin, yeah. And it really took off. And the, the, I mean, if you look at the transfers between, particularly between ourselves and Sinn Féin, incredibly strong. I mean, one of the highest kind of transfer rates between two parties I think I've ever seen. So people... I think it was the first time that PR was seen to work properly, actually. Yeah. It, I, it really, I do think because it's those small seats, those, those what I'd call the mop-up seats, the last counts, the fourth counts. Yeah. When you take them away from the traditional parties, you absolutely remove their stranglehold. You remove their stranglehold. It was a great campaign. Um, the Greens screwed it up. Of course they screwed it up. Yeah. Of course they did. They had a choice and they took the marks and perks. That's what they took. Simple as. Yeah. And that's been the, the, the tragic sort of repeated mistake of parties that would have been seen as left or radical. Greens, Labour Party, the most obvious culprits in that. And it's been a disastrous failure. And you would think that at this point they would have realised, even from their own narrow electoral point of view, what a what a disastrous policy has been, never mind the damage it's done to politics in this country and just uh, it's underwritten 100 years of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael rule that parties of the left keep propping these parties up. So absolutely, we, we have made it absolutely clear, although we have differences with Sinn Féin, we will, as we did the last time, if they emerge as the, as the biggest party with a prospect of being in government, we will vote for Mary Lou MacDonald as Taoiseach and we would uh, use our votes in the doll to put them into government uh, and to put a left government in, right? So that we, we are absolutely committed to that. But what, you know, I, I mean, I think all parties on the left have to nail their colours to the mast on that. That's what I would say. And uh, a lot of the left, I mean, I'm not trying to sort of nitpick with others on the left, but we're the only ones who've clearly stated that. Uh, and others on the left are still leaving options open of possibly... Uh, going going in with Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael. I think that just has to be ruled out. We've been down that road. They've had their chance. And I think we need to have a government that does not involve those two parties. Uh, I, I that I is a left government. I have to agree with you. Uh, and I think they should be nailing the colours to the mast before an election. Not not after, before. I also think that uh, there's a chart there today that shows that dissatisfaction or, or, or mistrust in the government is highest among people under 29. The only other country with a similar distrust is Colombia. And if you're a party that's going to nail your your colours to Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, you're basically nailing out everybody under 29 years of age. That's what you're doing. You're nailing them out. And that's who's going to elect you in the future, whether you know it or not. Um, Richard, just on the, again, coming back to the housing aspect of this, the crisis has been ongoing for years i can i can point to sitting in the hotel lobby with the then un special rapporteur for housing the lanny farah who was writing a letter to the government saying you're failing in your international obligations under international law to provide adequate housing and the government simply ignoring and then writing back saying we don't we don't agree 
tell me as as housing spokesperson you know what you think if you if i said to you here look you're going in you're going down the customs house um uh, cause a bit of havoc there for a while and let's see what we can do what's your what's your plan and how does it differ i mean there's so many different aspects to it right um in broad terms it has to be about breaking reliance on private developers private sector and so on right uh, that has been a disastrous failure but Something we could do immediately, and I brought this up with Faradkar, and this, to be honest, isn't even that radical, right? But it would make a big difference. And maybe they think it's radical. We, we, The government have just announced that they have, are going to see an absolutely massive increase in corporate tax revenues this year. So the budget envelope that was being talked about is going to be much bigger, right? The government have more money to play with. Uh, the, the corporate profits are going to go from 15 to 20 billion euro in one year. Now, that suggests we don't know. Sorry, co- corporate tax. Corporate revenue, tax receipts. Are, are receipts going to, right? Imagine passing 20. Just to put that in context, folks, We when we were getting 9 billion a year, we thought this was the pig's back we were on. Now, yeah. we're, uh, now we're hitting 20. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the point is that that's extra money. Now, the government are ma- make a reasonable point, which is, if you use that on current expenditure, like day-to-day expenditure, you may not have it in a couple of years' time. And that's true, right? What could they do with $5 billion that wouldn't be sort of uh, dangerous from an economic point of view? A very simple thing they could do is buy up a lot of the property that is being constructed now or where people are threatened with eviction uh, because of a, a landlord is selling. Just the state just buy it. Right. And um, we have the money to do it. It's one off expenditure that would save the state money because people wouldn't go into homelessness. They wouldn't be forking out year after year money in RAS and HAPS payments to landlords. They would increase the housing stock of public housing stock. They would actually generate revenue for the state and they would have instantly, they could potentially buy thousands and thousands of social homes for people, right? Now, that would be a very, very good investment of that money. Can I give some figures on that? So our whole social housing stock is somewhere around 8%. They reckon you should have around 20. Scotland, for example, on a head on a per capita basis has 16 and a half. So we're still way, we're way behind. We're about half of where we should be at, at the bottom end, okay? Also, to Richard's point, we keep hearing... Landlords are fleeing. Landlords are, are are running. We'll buy the bloody places because then we'll increase the stock. We'll own the asset, yeah. um, and we will be able to, as you as you said. And here's the thing: the statistic bears out that if for every so for every half payment, it was it was estimated within Dublin, the state could afford to build two homes themselves. That was the Irish government's yeah. economic evaluation systems report. And then the second piece on that that's really crucial is that if that family then present as homeless. It, the average cost of the state of a, of a family going into homeless is sixty eight thousand euro. Yeah. So it's, so even even if you are a dyed wool blue shirt gailer, yeah. burning money. Yeah, yeah, it's burning money. Um, and they, now they actually have the resources, whatever excuses they had. I mean, of course, look, if we go back historically, the mistake of selling off forty five billion worth of Nama property to these, it's just beyond. If if when the history books are written. That will be the greatest scandal that ever happened in this country, in my opinion, right? <laughs> whether there were brown envelopes involved or whether it was just the biggest, most stupid act of economic sabotage that ever was done anywhere in the world. 
because it was the biggest property portfolio in the world at one point, NAMA. Biggest property company in the world. And they flogged it all off when they had the in their hands the, the ability to solve the housing crisis. But all you know, that's water under the bridge now. But they could they could reverse that by using this enormous uh, 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 surge they've got in corporate tax receipts to buy those properties. And if we if they if the state doesn't buy them, who will buy them? Ordinary people can't afford them. So the only people who will buy those properties are international vulture funds and investment funds. So you know, so that's the choice. And uh, it would, if the state steps in, we could house a lot of people securely, permanently, affordably, and we would actually be doing a big uh, uh, favor to the state financially uh, for future years. So it's just a no-brainer. Whether they'll do it well, <laughs> don't hold your breath. But it's another reason to get out on the street. Can I ask you about energy? Yeah, Richard. And at the present moment in time, we are in an energy crisis, no matter what way they want to cut it up or say what cause the, the, the actual problem is that people can't afford to pay for heat. Now, Ivana Bakic came up with a very clever, I thought it was a very clever suggestion yesterday to nationalize the carb gas field. Now, that's that's the first really clever suggestion I've heard. What would you do? In the in the short term, people have to, have to get through to March. So how do you get them through to March? Well, we do several things, but I, I don't want to be <laughs> boxing with Ivana Bacic. But in fact, we, 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 we put a motion to the doll in October of last year saying nationalize all energy production and the entire energy sector. So that included Carob and the lot. Uh, last and if anybody says that can't be done, some of our stuff got yeah. sell, sold off during the period of, of the austerity yeah. that we referred to uh, during the global financial crisis. So we were willing to let it go. We can get it back. We can get it back. Absolutely. This is an emergency. Other governments in Europe are starting to do it. It should be done. And somebody was asking, I was on the radio making this point yesterday, and they said, oh, how, how much is that going to cost? Well, actually, in the case of the ESB, it wouldn't cost anything at all. Uh, the because it is publicly owned. The problem is they changed its mandate about 10 years ago. So it went from being a not-for-profit company, mandated, uh, and we had the lowest electricity prices in Europe at that time, to uh, once it was deregulated, if the, that sector, and it was sort of encouraged to behave as a commercial entity, uh, we now have some of the highest electricity. On average, about 78% higher than the rest of uh, the average in Europe, right? So... Uh, we we should renationalize it and operate it on a not for profit basis. And by the way, the, the other important point, you know, and this is why I get really annoyed with the, uh, the Greens in particular, is all the offshore renewable wind or onshore renewable wind that they're planning to develop over current uh, over the future. And they keep saying, "Oh, sure, if we develop this, uh, we'll have a more secure and affordable energy, energy supply, and we'll protect." Pre- protect ourselves against the sort of situation that we have now where international prices are dictating to us. But that's not true at all. If it's privately owned, if the, if the, uh, the all the offshore wind they're planning to develop is privately owned, we'll still be paying extortionate prices and we'll have absolutely no control over it and we won't even have security of supply. And even at the, on that, the statistics bear that out. Again, I feel like I'm reg- agreeing with you, but they, they, the state have said they're only willing to put 20% of the money up, which means 80% will have to be provided by the private market. And we know, I know, because I've read the, the, the trade sheets, they said we want to do this on the same tax basis that the industri- 
institutional investors get. So they were, they're willing. And these people were knocking down. You mentioned Ussi and Smith earlier. We know, Minister, that they were knocking down your door, offering you trunk loads of cash if you will do the same deal that they're getting on what we call vulture funds, Minister. We know that's happening. And the, yeah. other, the other thing, I suppose, too, Richard, you said people are saying to you, where are you going to get the money for that? That day has passed. We are now in where are you going to get the energy for yeah. that? That's yeah. the question. Not where does the money come from? Yeah. Where does the energy come from? That is now the question for everything we do in this country. Absolutely everything. Where are you going to get the energy for that? Including data centers, by the way, including data centers. Including data centers. I mean, that's, yeah, that's the other element in the room, isn't it? Eight mega data centers being planned over the next three or four years that will suck up all of the extra energy producing capacity the government say they're going to bring online. Just suck it all up. Uh, and yet they're willing to go along with that. And incredibly, the Greens are willing to go along. Uh, but if they, if they did, I mean, I remember when, when they were talking about Pat Rabbit was in charge of energy and they were talking about, you know, what they were going to do with wind power. None of it came to fruition, by the way. No. But there was a choice to be made at that stage where you could have community-owned uh, renewable energy, yeah. but they wouldn't take it. Now we have a situation where if they had taken it at that stage, community-owned renewable energy, then people wouldn't be taking off the grid. And they could have a million data centers if they wanted to, because people wouldn't be getting ESB bills through their door. They'd have their own community-based renewable energy. It was such an open goal. It has led us to this situation now. We're completely reliant on importing energy into this country. It was madness. It was utter utter madness absolutely and then there's things like insulating people's homes i mean you were asking is there something again that could be done very very quickly i mean even short of major retrofits if you put uh insulation right into people's roofs everybody who doesn't currently have it which could be done quickly and relatively cheaply that would dramatically reduce people's bills and it wouldn't cost that much right and uh, do, do it free. You know, where the state pays for it, that would make a big, big difference. Um, but they don't have the skills for it at the moment, Richard. They, they, uh, the no, Martin, 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 no, not in that, not in uh, insulating an attic. Putting walls, things much more different, full retro- retrofits. Richard yeah. is right. We have more than enough skills to do an attic. An attic is only a small job and can be done very quickly. Yeah. They could roll it out. And I, I've, I've spoken to people who are involved in the retrofitting scheme and they say the attic thing is the easiest thing. But Richard is right. It should be free. That's just the bottom free. line. The, the, one one question on um, on the next term coming, though. Like The pressure is obviously going to build in this government. If we see blackouts if we see brownouts, as we were told, remember last it was what uh, this uh, the idea then that they said recently, which is quite funny that, oh, we didn't see it coming. This, we never saw this coming. Eamon Ryan said we didn't see it getting this bad, where we know even September 2021, he was told there was, you know, potential brownouts, as they're calling them, where lights are flickering, everything's usage is down. Yeah. Can this government see out a winter where they can't keep the lights on? That's a good that's a good question. And I don't know the answer. I mean, I certainly think if if it gets to that point, people will be on the streets. The cost of living coalition will certainly isn't finishing with this demonstration on the 24th. And our intention is to keep keep mobilizing people 
until they're, you know, the cost of living crisis and the energy crisis, and for that matter, the housing crisis is comprehensively dealt with. So I think the anger will grow. And yeah, if if people take to the streets in sufficient numbers and people are forced to do things like take industrial action, and that's what it'll get to, then a government, you know, they could be driven out of office and it wouldn't be a moment too soon as far as I'm concerned. So they, you know, <laughs> the pressure is on them to resolve these things. Um, I yeah, and it's a, isn't it isn't it a real sign of a degeneration of our, our sort of, you know, our system, really? Well, the, the uh, Romans could provide water, light and heat yeah. without any of our technology. Yeah. So we have a government who has every resource, money, as we've said, more money than you could shake a stick at. And they can't fix the basic functions to make society work. They can't do it. That's ideological. That's ideological. It's not that they can't, it's that they won't. Well, one of the things in my sort of spare time, if you like, I'm I'm, I'm very interested in history and uh, particularly ancient history. And one of the questions I always sort of was interested in is, how did great civilizations like the ancient Roman civilizations and uh, the ancient Greek civilizations or ancient Mesopotamia, who reached such extraordinary heights of kind of intellectual and scientific and technological advancement, why did they collapse? Why did they collapse? And one of the reasons was that even though they, they had had these all these intellectual and technological advances, increasingly the wealth became concentrated into the hands of a small group of people who instead of using it to keep the lights on, for want of a better phrase, right? In those days, it wasn't so much the lights as water infrastructure, proper irrigation, uh, things like that. They started to build pyramids and palaces for the super rich. And eventually the bottom of the society fell out. That's why they collapsed. Yeah, but I, no, no, no. Can I? <laughs> I want to speak up for um, Nero, and I mean, who doesn't want a lot of boats in a row so you don't need a bridge out to your island? I mean, this stuff is just brilliant, you know. Um, no, Richard, it's it's a fair point, but I do think we've seen for for each crisis has been actually a wealth transfer system from the bottom to the top. Yeah, it's wealth redistribution. Yeah, we see it in the last twenty four hours. There's comments on that the expert. <laughs> Commission on taxations recommendations. All of them are basically being called, you know, any anything that's suggesting is going after um wealth, because a lot of wealth in this country is tied up in property and assets and in other other areas. We have a inefficient property tax as it is. So tell me if without without telling me that you want to take my house off me, Richard, tell me how you want to, you want to actually redistribute that those assets, the wealth from those assets that's, that's trapped there that this government have said we're not going to do because there's no appetite for it. It was how the Taoiseach said it while he was standing beside a man who has 11 houses, by the way. <laughs> yeah, well, look, I mean, we again, we've been since I've been in the doll and before, for that matter, every year we put forward budget proposals which include a wealth tax and our wealth tax is not to take individual families' homes off them, but it is pitched at a million euro in wealth, right? Above that, that people would pay 2% on wealth above uh, a million euro. Um, Oxfam proposed an even more modest one this year where they said it would be above, uh, I think, 3 million euro, right? 2% tax above 3 million euro. And they estimated that alone would raise 4.5 billion euro in additional revenue a year, right? Uh that's a lot of money. Nobody's going to lose their house. 
but it would redistribute a bit of the incredible concentration of wealth that's in the hands of roughly 5% of the Irish population, right? I mean, the, the top 5%, we do the maths on this every year, the, the 5% of richest people in this country have average wealth of about three and a half million euro each, right? That's average. Of course, some of them have billions in wealth. So to impose a one and a half or 2% wealth tax on them, they wouldn't even feel it. I mean, they're probably generating more in in sort of interest on that money every year than 2%. Well, but well it would, they, they wouldn't have been over the last number of years because rates were through the floor. But I want to put something else to you. Now well, rates yeah, are most would be investments. So fair point. But even yeah. still, it would be, they wouldn't really feel it, but it will be a lot of additional money for housing, for health, for... Okay, but but can I put a question to you then? We've got over we've got over 140 billion on deposit in 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 these households. Yeah, it's quite wealthy. If we're offering these institutional investors four percent returns on their on their uh, on their money for the, uh, guaranteed, because that's what we did when we set the rent pressure zones, we set the bottom. We've given them yeah, a guaranteed yeah. yield. We've given them low yeah. tax rates. We wouldn't even have to give people that sort of money. Would you be Would you be interested in say instead of a wealth tax, a wealth bond? Explain. Whereby people are actually able to invest into the same sort of models that actually build social housing and get a return on that instead of pose, instead of a tax on it. It's not, not a suggestion I've heard before, but look, I'm interested. I mean, in anything, you socialize you, the yeah. returns. You also, but the 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 capital is there, and they and they maybe don't have to pay dirt, you know, a deposit interest retention tax because it's not a dirt model. All of those things are are, are things that I think. With a country that has 140 billion sitting on deposit, we're mad not to be thinking about. Yeah, well, I, I think that's a very reasonable proposal, to be honest. And it's it's not a it's not a million miles away from something I have publicly sort of endorsed and spoken and put to the government, who is what the credit unions have been pointing out. Yeah. Credit unions have been saying we have about five or six billion quid, which we would be very happy to invest on a not-for-profit basis in social housing, but we're not allowed. We're precluded from doing it. Uh, which seems to me to make no sense. Uh, so there's a not-for-profit financial institution uh, who hold the savings of huge numbers of working-class people. They want to use that money to d- do something beneficial for, for working-class communities and for society, and they're being precluded from doing it. And ironically, the credit union have to put their own money on deposit with the, uh, with the commercial banks, mm. <laughs> which they I'm don't want to do. I'm I mean, it's flipping crazy. Do you remember we had Hugh Brennan on stage, Tony? Do you remember? Yeah. And I'm reminded we we had said I spoke that, to you this week, Martin. You it was early though, so you didn't make it. <laughs> we, we put Hugh on the stage and we asked Hugh, could he scale up what they're doing? And he said, Yeah, absolutely. If the government gave us a billion euro, we could build houses all over the country and hand them back the billion euro when we're finished. So the solutions do exist. It is certainly just ideological out there at the moment. Yeah. Richard. Thanks for coming on and having this chat with us. One last question from me. Do you think this government's going to go the next two and a half years? Listen, I can't answer that question because they have no interest whatsoever in an election, Mm -hmm. right? So from their point of view, they want to hang in. The Greens, obviously, because they will be eviscerated if there's an election. Uh, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, because both of them think their future depends on them cooperating, right? The days of either Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael ever having a majority again on their own are gone. So they increasingly will have to work together 
to be relevant, right? So none of them have an interest and they will cling on to the bitter end. So the question is, and of course, there's a whole series of gene pool independents who will back them, even if the Greens drop out, for example. So uh, pretend independents, I call them, you know, people who pretend they're, they're independent of the government, but are actually uh, willing to prop them up and indeed are often former members of those two parties. Uh, but what can change the equation is people. That's what will change it. And in, like you cannot explain even the success of Sinn Féin and the radical left and all the rest of it over the last few years, other than through movements of people power, the water charges most obviously, the anger over housing, that has what's propelled Sinn Féin and the left forward. And it's movements of ordinary people, of working people that could drive this government out of power a lot sooner than the two and a half more years that they have to run. So that's that's what I think. And is that possible that that might happen? It's very possible if this crisis uh, continues to get worse and this government doesn't do anything to kind of, you know, seriously address it. Yeah, the potential for this government to be driven out through people power is definitely there. And it, that would be a very good thing, in my opinion. Thanks for the time, for taking the time to come and chat with us, Richard. And I always, and I always nice to chat to you. It's been a while. Um, keep in the loop. Come back, have another chat with us before... Uh, before the next election is certainly I don't think yeah. it's going to be anywhere close to two and a half years to be quite honest yeah well I hope you. you're right Marty <laughs> I hope you're right thanks again Richard cheers Marty cheers Tony listen folks we're back We've, we're back later on we have Colette Brown from the Social Democrats which will be an interesting conversation because I don't know if Colette has spoken to us since she she jumped the hedge the other way and went from journalism into into politics as opposed to going from yeah, journalism yeah, it's the backwards stream <laughs> yeah it's a strange <laughs> one there now with this kind of um, going into the back Anyway, look, we'll 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 talk about we'll talk to Colette later and see what the situation is there. And Owen Daly, you'll you'll remember him, the constitutional lawyer from NUI Galway, is going to tell me why um, our, our uh, rotating Taoiseach, uh, what that means, what what the what the basis for that is, and how it can be done, uh, and how we can how that sleight of hand is going oh, to happen. That sounds Christmas. interesting. You're not invited to that one. Um, I, I don't. I I think it's such a swiss. I think actually, it's a god. And the thing is, you're going to be shown to be wrong, unfortunately. But we will release without no more spoilers. Uh, we're back with that. And one last thing, just to say to Richard, it's not the radical left; it's just common sense. Quite often, listen, folks, stop telling us we're radicals yeah, right. when we're just trying you're to right. call it out. Talk Old to you all. Very- socialist common sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to you all soon, folks. Take care. Bye bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people. It's the Echo Chamber Podcast. Subscribe now on Patreon.